Man, well, good morning, Coastal Gloucester. It is so good to have the opportunity to be here with you guys and to be able to open up God's Word. Uh, I think I know almost everybody, but just in case, my name is Pastor Nate. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just wanted to mention one thing really quickly before we jump into the message, and that is our 24 hours of prayer. We, if you've been around Coastal for a while, you know we usually do this on Holy Week and Holy Saturday where we have people sign up for an hour and we have 24 hours of continuous prayer. We're going to start doing that monthly on the 7th of every month, which just so happens to be today. So um, I think it would be a great thing to do if you're interested later this afternoon or even this evening to sign up for an hour and devote that hour to prayer. You can do that at gocoastal.org slash request prayer. You can do that from your home. And speaking of prayer, we've done this the last two weeks, and and Pastor David and I decided it would be be wise to do it again this week. Uh, It's no secret, if you've been watching the news, this has been just an incredibly distressing time for our nation, and uh, we need God more than ever, absolutely. So I think that what we we should do to open up our service this morning is just to pray for our nation, to pray for everything going on, to pray for peace, but most importantly, to pray for the gospel to go forward, because... Human beings are not going to fix it. Only God can bring healing. Only God can bring peace. So why don't we open in prayer before we uh, jump in with the message this morning. Our Father, we, we come to you confessing that we need you. Um, Lord, we, we confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. And, and as we look at the news this week, Lord, as we all have and have felt distressed over various things going on in our nation, Lord, over, over injustices, over, over the chaos and the turmoil that we see on the news, over the continuing pandemic. And uh, Lord, there's just so much going on and it's been such a time of, of strife and division and fear. And Lord, we confess that only you can fix it. Lord, we can't fix this. Politicians are not going to fix this. Lord, only you can bring people together. Lord, I remember what we studied in Ephesians from chapter two a few weeks ago, how in Christ, you bring us together. You break down the walls that divide us, Lord. So I pray, Lord, for our nation. I pray that you would do that work again, that you would bring peace, that you would bring healing. And I pray for a mighty spread of the gospel in our nation, Lord. I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit and power and that our nation would return to you. Lord, we ask that because we acknowledge that that is our only hope. We love you and we give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, continuing with our study in the book of Ephesians for this summer. And While you're turning there, I want to open this morning with a parable. And now this is a parable that I made up, full disclosure. Uh, I'm actually, my namesake, one of the the prophets in the Bible who I share a name with, Nathan, in the book of 2 Samuel, he started a message to the king with a parable that he made up, and it seemed to be pretty effective. So I thought I'd give it a shot here this morning. There was a man driving to Gloucester Walmart to get groceries. And as he's driving through the roundabout, you know, he passes Chick-fil-A on the side and he's tempted, but he's got a mission. He kept going. He saw a man standing on the corner holding up a cardboard sign, and he was desperately asking for money. And that might not seem that unusual, but this was a pretty unusual guy who was doing that. He looks at this guy, and he notices that he's wearing an expensive tailored suit. He's got a gold Rolex on his wrist. His hair is well-groomed, and as he walked up to him, he noticed that he smelled like expensive cologne. He had a wedding ring on his finger, and he was standing in front of a brand new BMW. Yet with desperation on his face, this man is begging for anyone coming by to give him some spare change. So he strikes up a conversation, and he said, well, what's your story? Why are you here begging? He 
He asks him, well, do you have a job? He said, well, no, actually, I'm the CEO of a well-known company. Okay, well, are you homeless? No, I actually have a quite nice home. It's very large. It's on the waterfront. Beautiful property. Do you have a car? Well, this BMW is one of them, but I have a few more as well. Do you have a family? Oh, yes, beautiful wife, well-behaved kids. They're awesome. Do, Do you have any money to your name? Well, yes, I don't have any debt at all in my savings account, my retirement, all loaded. Can you please help me? Do you have any spare change that you can give me? And this man is just dumbfounded. He's like, why are you asking me for money? I should be asking you for money. Do you even realize the resources that you have available to you? Why are you begging? Coastal, on a spiritual level, many of us this morning are the rich man in that story. From what we've studied in the book of Ephesians, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been chosen by God the Father from before the foundation of the world. We have been redeemed by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We have been raised from death to newness of life. We have been raised up with Christ and are seated with him in the heavenly places. The barriers that have separated us from God and from one another have been broken down and we have been brought together into one body. And we have God's very own spirit, his power dwelling within us. And yet, when you look at our lives from the outside, we often seem anything but powerful. We're so often filled with weakness and we're filled with fear. We struggle against the temptations of the world the desires of our flesh, the schemes of the devil. We have sin in our lives that we can't seem to overcome no matter how hard we try. And what I want to do this morning is to show you from this text that as believers in Jesus, there is an infinite supply of power that is available to us. And the Apostle Paul is praying with all of his heart that the church would know and would experience this power, that we would understand the blessings that we have in Christ, and we would live in light of them. For us as Christians to live in weakness and to live in fear is to be like the rich man in the story. It's to forget all of the blessings that are ours in Christ and to forget to live in light of that because we so often look for strength in all of the wrong places. We have a power at work within us that is strong enough to create a universe. And God's desire is to display that power in our lives for the cause of the gospel. So with this in mind, let's take a look at our text together. It's Ephesians chapter three. Uh, We'll start in verse 14. The word of God says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's jump right in. 
This text is a prayer, as you may have noticed. It's prayed by the Apostle Paul for this local church in Ephesus. He's closing the first half of his letter with this prayer. The first half of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, are more doctrinal. They're more theological, whereas the last three chapters, chapters 4 through 6, tend to be more practical. And this prayer is something of a transition between the two. And the first thing I would like to notice about this text this morning is that this is a prayer for power. When I think about the word power, my mind likes to go to the power team. Uh, my mom and dad are here. They, they remember taking me when I was a little kid that my old church had the power team come. And there was this ministry of these really, Brian's nodding over there, these really, really buff guys who they would do crazy stuff. They would like rip up phone books. They would take telephone poles and bend them in half. They would bench press like a thousand pounds. And then they'd tell you about Jesus. So that was just their attention getter. They've asked me to join many times. I've told them I'm happy where I'm at. Uh, But that's not the kind of power that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about spiritual power. I think the big idea of this prayer is spiritual strength. Paul prays twice here that this church will be strengthened and then mentions in the doxology that ends the prayer, the power at work within us. And then in chapter six, later on in the letters, he circles back around to this theme when he tells the church to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. So I think the big idea this morning that I want us to really think about is what is that power that is at work within us as believers, and how can we live in light of that? He says in verse 16, he prays that that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. His desire for this church is for their strength, that they would be strengthened in their inner being. The old King James says, in your inner man. The idea is your soul or in your spirit that believers would be empowered by the Holy Spirit in their spirit so that they would go deeper in their relationship with God and they would be more effective for God's kingdom. And in the midst of our current situation, in this pandemic that we've been living through and all of the division and the turmoil in our society, there's perhaps nothing that we need more of right now than strength. This is a time when many of us have never felt so weak. We've never felt so helpless, like there's really nothing we can do. We've never been so afraid. Maybe some of you are in a financial situation that you never thought you'd be in before. Maybe some of you are facing anxiety on a level that you've never known before. Maybe this pandemic has put an incredible strain on your marriage or your relationship with your kids, or maybe on your job. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe all of the chaos on the news lately has you afraid about what the future is going to hold. Maybe you look inside of yourself and you get afraid because you look inwardly and all you see is weakness and fear. And if that last one is the case, I want to encourage you this morning that God has you right where he wants you because true power in the Christian life does not come from looking inside of yourself. It comes from dependence on God. Many of us are living in weakness and we are living in fear as believers because we are looking for strength in ourselves rather than confessing our weakness and looking to God for strength. God's desire is to show off his strength in the midst of your weakness. God will not cater to our self-sufficiency. God's delight and desire is to display the might of his power in the midst of our weakness. Remember what uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Lately, I've been meditating a lot on the book of 2 Timothy, and in particular, 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, 
but of power. You see the contrast there? The opposite of power is fear. Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God is living within you, inside of you, and that Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. God himself is living in you to strengthen you. But like the rich man in the story, we often live in weakness and in fear because we forget the resources that are available to us in Christ. And what are those resources? Paul says it's according to the riches of his glory that we receive this strength. That's the source of strength. Power doesn't come from within ourselves. It comes from the riches of God's glory. Think about it this way. If I were to tell you that I am going to give you a gift according to my riches, you should probably not get your hopes up. Just saying. If Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, told you that he is going to give you a gift according to his riches, you should probably get a little bit more excited. But how rich is God? Think about it. God is the creator of everyone and everything in the universe. In one moment, he spoke, and the entire universe popped into existence out of nothing. God can create whatever he wants, whenever he wants to, as much of it as he wants to. That makes the richest people on this planet combined look like beggars in comparison to the riches of God's glory. And that is the source of strength that is available to us as believers. So what does that mean for you? It means that when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, when you feel like you're at your wit's end and you don't know what you're going to do next, you never have to wonder if God is running low on supply to help you and to strengthen you. God himself is living within you and it is his desire to display his power in the midst of your weakness for the cause of the gospel. And that last part is crucial. It's not just for my own personal pleasure or my own, um, the advancement of my own goals. It's for the cause of the gospel. And what does that look like for us to live in the strength that God supplies for the cause of the gospel? If you were to ask the author of a, any probably popular Christian book today, if you were walking to a Christian bookstore and ask, what does a strong Christian look like? You'd probably get the answer that they were smart, successful, you know, well-behaved kids, a loaded bank account, no problems whatsoever. Everything is smooth sailing. And don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when we think of God displaying his power in our lives, we usually think of it so that we can avoid suffering. But sometimes God strengthens us so that we will be able to endure suffering for the cause of the gospel. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel, ready, by the power of God. In this text, God's power is seen not in Timothy avoiding suffering, not in him avoiding trials and hardships in his life. It's in Timothy's ability to endure suffering for the glory of God. I bring this up to emphasize that this spiritual strength that we're discussing is not given to us just to improve our circumstances in this life here and now that may or may not happen. Rather, God strengthens us so that we can glorify and honor him and spread the gospel no matter what happens in this life. Next, we see that God strengthens us with power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. This dwelling in our hearts, it's not just a one-time deal. It's an ongoing reality. The Greek word translated as dwell here communicates the idea of a permanent residence rather than a temporary lodging. 
His prayer is that as they are strengthened with power, Christ would continually dwell in them. And what does that look like in our lives? What does it mean for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith? Well, in his book, My Heart, Christ's Home, Robert Munger compares the Christian life as something of an allegory to a house through which Jesus goes room to room. So first he goes to the library, which is the mind, and Jesus finds trash. He finds all sorts of worthless worthless things, and he throws it all out, and he replaces it with his word. In the dining room, which is called appetite, he finds a menu, and when he reads the menu, it has things like materialism and worldly prestige and lust, and he throws that out, and he replaces it with things like humility and meekness and love and mercy. He goes into the living room of fellowship, where he finds only worldly friends and worldly activities. He goes into the workshop, where only worldly toys are being made to enjoy in this life. He goes into the closet, finally, where all of the hidden sins are kept, and he throws them out. And here's the point of the story. Only when Jesus had cleaned every room, every closet, every corner of sin and foolishness could he truly settle down and be at peace in this person's heart. And here's what that means for us today. As Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, ongoing throughout our lives, he is in the process of cleaning the house. He is in the process of removing everything that does not look like him and making us more like himself. He is continually, day by day, transforming us more and more into his image, and that is a process that he is absolutely committed to. John 14, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. That is the essence of true strength, Christ living in us the omnipotent God living in us to strengthen us. And God displays his power in our lives by giving us the strength to defeat sin. So let me encourage you this morning, if there's that one sin in your life that just keeps coming back and you you keep struggling with it and you return to it like a dog returns to his vomit, you do not have to be a victim to your sin. In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. The power of God is living in you to strengthen you to overcome sin. The next part of Paul's prayer is this. It is a prayer for power to comprehend. He goes on in this prayer to say that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's prayer is that as we are grounded in love ourselves, we would go deeper in our knowledge of God's love for us in Christ. And this is a knowledge that is grounded in love. Some translations say firmly established in love. The idea is that love would be the foundation of who we are. And this love is first and foremost a love that we receive, not a love that we give. Listen to 1 John 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love for us was expressed when he sent his son into this world to die in our place as our propitiation. That means a a sacrifice for our sins that turns away God's righteous anger and wrath toward us. 
so that when we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we will have eternal life. And here's the key for this text. As we have grasped that, as we have been transformed by the gospel, we are now enabled and empowered to show that same love to other people. That is the evidence that we truly understand the gospel and that we've truly been transformed by it. And building on this foundation, the next part of Paul's prayer is that we would have the strength to comprehend God's love in Christ. I love this phrase, strength to comprehend or strength to understand the love of Christ, because it shows that there's something so incredible. There's something so overwhelming. There's something so life-changing about the love of Jesus that we need strength just to be able to understand it. We need God's power just to grasp how good it really is. He prays that we would have strength to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. I think these dimensions that he's giving are just a metaphorical way of expressing that it goes on and on forever in every direction. The love of Jesus for us is infinite. Let's spend just a couple of minutes meditating on that. How wide is the love of Jesus? Well, Isaiah 118 says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. There's no sin that is too big for God to forgive. There's no person that is beyond the reach of God's grace. Even if there is blood on your hands, it can become white as snow because the love of Jesus is infinitely wide. How long is the love of Jesus? Well, Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God's love for us in Christ is everlasting. It is eternal. And now when we think about the word eternal, we usually think about it in terms of something that does not end. It just goes on and on forever. And that's true, but that's only half of it. Really, for something to be eternal means it goes on and on forever both ways. So think about this. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus, not only will God's love for you never end, it never started. It never began. God's love for you is an everlasting love. There has never been a moment, if you're in Christ, in the existence of the being of God where he has not loved you completely and totally. You know what that means for us now? Why do you think God's going to give up on you now? He has always loved you, and he's always going to love you. So he's not going to give up on you now because the love of Jesus is infinitely long. How deep is the love of Jesus? Well, to understand that, you have to understand how deep Jesus went in order to save you. And how deep was that? Well, Jesus went from the majestic throne of heaven to having seraphim crying out before him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory to a Roman cross where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went from the highest of heights to being tossed in the deepest pit imaginable, bearing the wrath of God for the sins of his people on the cross. He went from the heights of heaven to the depths of hell itself on the cross out of love for us. He was forsaken and rejected as a criminal so that you and I could be accepted as beloved sons and daughters because 
the love of Jesus is infinitely deep. Finally, how high is the love of Jesus? John 17, 24, Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I always thought that verse was a little bit peculiar. Think about it. Jesus prays that we would see his glory. If he was not the son of God, that would be the most arrogant thing you could possibly pray. If I were to say, I really want these people to see my glory today, how arrogant would that be? But it's true. (laughs) But it's true. Jesus is so glorious that the best thing he can possibly give us is a glimpse of himself. And when we get to heaven, the most glorious part about it is not going to be golden streets. It's not even going to be reuniting with our loved ones. It's going to be seeing Jesus in all of his glory. His desire is to exalt us to the highest of possible heights, seeing his glory because his love is infinitely high. And if all of this seems a little bit overwhelming, well, that's the point, right? It says that this is a love that surpasses knowledge. We need to be given strength from on high just to be able to grasp how good it really is. We can truly understand the love of Jesus, but we will never, ever in all of eternity exhaust the riches of it. You could spend every moment of every day in this age and in the age to come meditating and studying and thinking about the gospel, and you would never even scratch the surface of it. As the hymn goes, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of your love, leading onward, leading homeward to your glorious rest above. The gospel is the most powerful thing in the world. Paul calls the gospel in Romans 1.16 the power of God. And in the midst of our weakness, there's nothing we need more than to remember the gospel. We need to meditate on the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. And I'm convinced that we are often filled with fear in our lives because we're failing to remember the gospel. Let me give you just a couple of examples. What about when we fear what other people think about us? What about when we crave the approval of other people? We do that because we've forgotten that the ultimate approval that we need comes from God and we already have it completely because of Jesus. What about when we fear the future, what tomorrow is going to hold? We fear the future because we've forgotten Romans 8.32, which says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Meaning, if he already did the hardest thing possible, which is not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, he's not going to hold out on you tomorrow on the small stuff. If he already gave you the Lamborghini, he's not going to not give you gas right? God already did the hardest thing possible, so you can trust him for tomorrow. Finally, what about death? We fear death because we have forgotten that to live is Christ and to die is gain. What about suffering? We fear suffering in our lives because we've forgotten that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. In the gospel, there is an answer for every fear. So the next time your heart has been tempted toward fear, drown that fear in the ocean of the gospel. It is more than powerful enough. 
when we fix our eyes on Jesus, everything else seems to grow strangely dim. And the next part of Paul's prayer is that this church would be filled with the fullness of God. And I don't think this is some weird mystical thing. I think this is a prayer simply that their relationship with God would be so central in their life that their hearts and minds would be so filled with a desire to please God that everything else would take a backseat. According to John MacArthur in his commentary, this is a prayer that the church would be so strong spiritually, so compelled by divine love, that they are totally dominated by the Lord and nothing is left of themselves. Of course, human comprehension of the fullness of God is impossible, but believers can experience the greatness of God in their lives as a result of total devotion to him. The idea is that our lives would be so filled and consumed by our relationship with God, be it through prayer or in the word or whatever else, that there would be little room left for ourselves. And the way that we are filled with the fullness of God is by being filled with God's word. The way that we can know the truth about who God is and how he intends for us to live our lives is by knowing God's word. The true way to experience the strength that we've been talking about this morning and the love that we've been talking about this morning is through the word. It comes from having the perspective of the psalmist in Psalm 119. I just read Psalm 119 earlier this week, and it's incredible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And you know what it's about? It's a love song about the Bible. Isn't that incredible? The longest chapter in the Bible is a love song about the Bible. And right in the middle of it, he exclaims, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Let's be honest. How many of us wake up in the morning and just exclaim, oh, how I love the Bible. Oh, how I can't wait to get to my quiet time today how the word is my meditation all day long. I say that to my own shame. So often, if we even do read it, we view it as this chore, as a religious checkbox we have to do instead of our delight, our meditation all day. I can promise us, church, that there's nothing that's going to bring greater strength, greater peace, greater love, greater transformation to your life than being saturated with God's word by having your mind renewed day in and day out by the word. Don't take it from me. Take it from the 20-year-old at the time, Charles Spurgeon, who preached this. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so greatly enlarge the intellect Nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the deity. And while humbling and expanding, this subject is also consolatory. Oh, there is in Christ a balm for every wound, in musing on the Father, a quiet for every grief. In the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balm for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go. Plunge yourself in God's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. There is in Scripture a promise for every trial, a warning for every backsliding, an encouragement for every weary moment, strength to face every fear, and enough glory to take our breath away.
coastal. Let us be filled with the fullness of God by being filled with God's word. May us truly learn how to love God's word, to know it deeply, not just on a surface level, but to dig deeply into the word and have it transform and renew our minds and be our meditation all day. Finally, our power as believers is grounded in God's power. It doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. Paul closes this prayer with a doxology, with a benediction. And he says, now to him who is able. I could just stop there. That's an incredible way to begin a sentence. But now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This could be a sermon in itself easily, but I'm going to make myself be brief here because I got about nine minutes. This benediction is about the ability of God. It says that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And Jeremiah agrees. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Church, we serve a God of infinite ability. There is nothing that's too difficult for God to do. Nothing catches God off guard or surprises him. God is able to do whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases it. Nothing frustrates God. God never even breaks a sweat. He can do anything whenever he wants to. He is infinite in power. And guess what? Here's the main point of the sermon. If you only take one thing away this morning, take this. That is the power that is at work within you. That is power that gives us freedom from sin. That is power that enables us to share the gospel with boldness to a lost world. You know what the apostles were told by Jesus in Acts chapter one before they started their mission? He said, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It is the power of God that enables us to go and spread the gospel in the midst of a dark and dying world. It is the power of God that enables us to live for his glory and to endure whatever comes our way in the path of obedience toward him. God's omnipotent power is at work within you and God is able to do far more abundantly than you could ask for or even what you could imagine, because God's capacity to give is greater than your capacity to ask. And not only does God have infinite ability, he also delights in showing off that infinite ability by answering our prayers. Just like that wonderful song that Pastor Joel wrote that we just sang, our God delights to hear our prayers. Let me ask you this. When you pray, do you ever get the idea of God in your mind as begrudgingly answering your prayers because it's his job to? Do you ever get this image of God as like, oh, well, I need you to pray for this at least five more times. You got to twist my arm just a little bit louder. That's how the prophets of Baal thought about God, right? In 1 Kings 17, they thought, well, you just got to shout a little bit louder. You got to dance a little bit more. That's not how Jesus viewed his heavenly father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and through the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And as parents in this room, we love giving good things to our children. But so often we doubt that God wants to give good things to us. And when I start thinking that way, I have to ask myself, am I more merciful than God? Am I more compassionate than God? Of course not. That's blasphemous. So we are in our minds when we fail to believe in God's goodness and in his delight in answering our prayers. But that doesn't just mean we get spoiled. We get whatever we want. I mean, Jesus says here, you know, what kind of a father, if his son asks for bread, will give him a rock? That's great, but my problem is I often ask for the rock, right? I look back in my life and think, God, if you had given me this thing that I begged for, that would have been horrible for me. And we got to thank the great theologian Garth Brooks, right? Thank God for unanswered prayers. Sometimes with our 2020 hindsight of the past, we can look back and say, God, if you had answered that prayer in the way that I was asking for it, it would have been horrible. But in your infinite wisdom, you loved me enough to say no. So here are the three things that encourage us to pray here. God is able to do more than we even ask or think. God delights to answer our prayers, but God also has wisdom to do what's best. And if that doesn't encourage you to pray, I don't know what will. What an incredible God that we have. So church, let's wrap up this morning. I wanted to encourage you with a couple of things. Does this whole, this whole situation that we've been living through as a culture, this pandemic, and now all of these, the division and everything, all of the chaos going on in the news, maybe it's something in your personal life that you've been wrestling with. Do these things make you feel weak or helpless? Do you often feel f- afraid, not knowing what the future is going to hold? Do you wrestle with anxiety? Do you worry excessively maybe what other people think about you? Maybe you doubt what you believe sometimes. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you keep falling back into that makes you feel completely weak and helpless. And the common thread in all of these things are weakness and fear. Do you ever feel those things? If so, let me encourage you in the form of three words. The first is this, remember. Remember who you are in Christ. Go back and reread Ephesians 1 if you've forgotten all of the incredible blessings that are ours in Christ. Live in light of the gospel of the love of Jesus. Meditate on the length and depth and height of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So remember. Next, ask. Ask God to give you strength. Remember, James says you have not because you ask not. We have a generous Father who is able to do more than we ask or think, who delights to give good gifts to his children, and in his infinite wisdom will give us what is best for us. So go to God and ask. Finally, believe. Believe that God is able to do more than we can ask or think, and he will do what is best. Believe that he is sovereign, that he is in control, and that he is working all things together for his glory and for our good. And as we're wrapping up and we're preparing to close with singing this morning, I'd like us to dream a little bit. What would it look like in your life if everything that we discussed this morning was true about you? How would your life be different if you lived moment by moment in the strength that God supplies, filled with the fullness of God? Wouldn't it be great to replace that fear, to replace that anger, to replace that lust, to replace that bitterness, to replace whatever it is with joy? with peace, with strength? And not just us as individuals, but what about our church? 
if we were to live moment by moment in the strength that God supplies, how would that transform our marriages? How would that transform our parenting? How would that transform ultimately Gloucester? If we were a church that lived and walked in the power of the gospel, wouldn't we see more and more people's lives transformed, lives changed here? Church, it doesn't have to be a dream. God is able. He is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or even think. So my charge for us today is to walk in the strength that God so richly provides so that we can be the church that he has made us to be for the cause of the gospel and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for who you are and for all that you've done for us. We acknowledge, Lord, that in and of ourselves, we are often weak. We are often fearful. But Lord, you are able to do far more than we could ask or think. There's nothing that is too hard for you. So today, we rejoice and we rest in the gospel of the love of Jesus. We ask that you would strengthen us with power so that we could live the lives that you have called us to live to bring you glory. I pray, Lord, that we would live in light of the power that is at work within us for your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name.